isn't it wonderful that no matter what kind of week you're having, you can just worship him and praise him? And I'm constantly reminded of the first scripture that I um, memorized is when I first became a believer, and I'm always brought back to it no matter what. I used to, um, my best friend back in New York used to say, will you stop praying? You keep shaking my snow globe. So sometimes I just feel like, you know, our world, we're in this little snow globe, and we want everything to be in its place and perfect. And some guy, sometimes God just takes it and shakes it, and whether that be a new diagnosis or um, a broken friendship or some trial that's hit you and smacked you in the face or punched you in the gut and you didn't know it was coming, the Lord says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, trust in the Lord with all your heart, even when it's hard. It doesn't say when it's easy. Even when it's hard, easy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will be faithful to make your path straight, whatever that may be. Okay, so I just want to thank each one of you for coming here. That was just heavy on my heart to share. I don't know what each one of you are going through. I know a little bit here and there, but I just want you to be encouraged. We don't always have to know and understand, and we might not know till we stand before him the whys and how come, and, you know, as women, well, you could have done it this way, but he has a better plan. And sometimes, most of the time, we need to go back to that. We need to just trust and be still. And I, encur- I just want to uh, encourage whoever that's for today. Maybe it's for all of us. I know it's for me. I just want to um, give that to you guys today. Um, so Sue, our guest speaker from Calvary Chapel, Lebanon, um, we go way, way back. We were trying to remember when, but, you know, we're both over 50, so it's kind of a struggle now. <laughs> but I remember when we first met, um, we were at Sandy Cove at a pastor's wife's retreat, and she was brand new, and I, um, just, we just hit it off, became friends, and I invited her. She was not having, um, so we were in York, they were in Lebanon, and it's about a half hour, 40 minutes from York possibly. Okay. Um, she wasn't having a women's retreat yet. So I invited her to our, to one of our women's retreat. And, um, I had to get up there. I don't know if I was teaching that year, what was going on, but she just was like, how do you do this? Like she just was, I just remember, you know, as a brand new pastor's wife, she was like, Oh, I hope I never have to do that. I'm not doing it. And it's so cool because now the Lord has brought her here today to be our guest speaker. So please, please welcome Sue. Thank you, Trish. Yeah, I agree to these very reluctantly and <laughs> because it's not my comfort zone. But I told Trish I would pray about it and asked my husband. And of course, my husband said, yes, you should go. <laughs> That's not the answer I wanted. But <laughs> anyway, here I am. And um, I brought with me Courtney. And you'll be hearing from Courtney, too. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be here. Lord, just please keep me out of the way. Empty me of me and fill me with you so that your truths can go forward to this lovely group of ladies here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is an honor to be here with you. And um, Trish told me your theme is a living hope. And what a beautiful theme, the heart of the gospel. Living hope is um, anchored in the past because Jesus rose from the dead and it continues in the present because Jesus is alive, and it endures through the future because Jesus promises eternal resurrection life. He's the object of our living hope. So 
I looked up the definition. Hope is a belief or expectation that something will happen. The Bible tells us that we can be confident on our relationship with Jesus because when we trust Jesus, we are born into a living hope. God makes us a new creation. We're no longer slaves to sin. And his spirit lives in us and becomes our living hope. And of course, this hope is from Christ. And this should fill us with joy, not just at Christmas, but every season. So I want to tell you a little bit about a source of joy in our home. Um, my husband and I, as you heard, we've been married for 47 years. Um, we would have liked children, but the Lord never blessed us with children. But that's, that's, we're okay with that because that was his choice. But 21 years ago, um, both my mom and my dad passed away in the same year. And uh, they had 10 children, uh, the youngest of which is a boy, and he has Down syndrome. And so 21 years ago, Ted came to live with Tom and I, um, because I am, there's just one sibling between Ted and I. Some Trish has met Ted, <laughs> of course Courtney knows Ted, but Ted is such a source of joy. <laughs> you know Ted as well. He has Jesus in his heart, and you should hear this guy sing worship songs to the Lord. He's 59 years old now, and he, um, he worships. He has this microphone. It's a real microphone, but it's not hooked up to anything, which thank the Lord, because <laughs> he sings a little off-key, but it is if usually he closes the door. He doesn't want you to see him do it, but if he leaves the door open by mistake, it's so beautiful to watch him worship. And so... Um, he tells us that when he gets to heaven, he wants to be seven feet tall. He's currently 5'3", and um, of course, all of his siblings are taller than him. Now, this is the, I want to just tell you two funny stories about Ted. When he first moved in with us, Ted, since he was 15, has watched WWE wrestling. Okay, and so all his life he did it. He loves it. He loves it. And so when he moved in with us, and I... You know, we gave him some time, but after a while, we were driving in the car one day, and, and I said, you know, Ted, they don't always say the nicest things in wrestling. You know, they, they swear, and it's not always great, and I'm trying to talk him out of watching it, and he, he's looking out the window of the car. I could tell he was upset with what I was saying, and he waited a while, and then he goes, well, I read in my Bible that Jacob wrestled with God. I know. I didn't even know he knew that. But he had started to read the Bible. And what do you say to that? <laughs> so even to this day, 21 years later, he still watches SmackDown, Raw, <laughs> WWE. And, and because it's such a, a big thing in his life, I have to learn about it and ask him about it. So I probably know more about wrestling than I would want to know. Another funny story about Ted is... Um, when he turned 50, we had a very big birthday party for him. And he, um, of course, all his siblings were there. And, and he got a check from uh, one of our older brothers for $100. And so when the party was over, he took his things up to his room, including the check. About two weeks later, I said, now, Ted, I need to take your check and put it into your checking account so it's in the bank for you. So he brings it down, and he hands it to me. He added two more zeros. <laughs> Again, I didn't even know that he knew to do that. <laughs> he's, a, he's more clever than I give him credit. 
But I could go on and on with Ted's stories. He's just so much fun and such a source of joy. And um, we just love having him in our home. And, and how he blesses our church is just amazing. People come up to me and say, I was really having a bad day, and I thought I really need a Ted hug. And he just knows when you're having a bad day and will go right up to you and hug you, whether he knows you or not. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's just really got a beautiful gift like that. So he's a source of great joy in our home. So biblical joy is inseparable from our relationship with God and springs from our knowledge and understanding of the purpose of life and the hope of living with God for eternity when there will be joy evermore. We know that. But, you know, joy does not in a, occur in a vacuum. And we certainly have joy, uh, reason for joy, when we come to Christ, when he forgives all our sins and we understand that he's cleansed us from unrighteousness. It's that exchanged life that we get what he deserves because he took what we deserve, what he, yeah, well, what we deserve. He bore the penalty. So you become a Christian, you put your trust and faith in Christ, let's say, you um, find a church, you attend a Bible study, you set aside time for devotions, you begin to fellowship with others, and you volunteer where you're needed, but maybe you're still lacking joy. You see joy in others, but maybe you just don't feel it yourself. Why? Why is it so difficult for some? Well, sometimes issues from our past need to be dealt with in order to find that joy. To make an analogy, let's say that you're baking cookies, which is very popular this time of year. You have all the ingredients listed in the recipe and you make them according to the recipe, but for some reason they taste terrible. And so you try again and again, you follow the recipe exactly as it is, but something's missing or some ingredient is ruining the cookies. I'm going to read to you an article. You'll get the point. There was once a woman who lived in a faraway land. Well, actually, she lived right down the street. She was a good woman, a nice woman, with a husband, two children, a dog, a cat, and a small tract home. She was always the, the courteous sort. She said hi to her neighbors, kept her garden weeded, served in the PTA every year, volunteered at the hospital on Wednesdays, and held the best yard sales with all the proceeds going to a local charity. Why, she even made Kool-Aid in the summer when no one else's mom would do it. There was no doubt about it. She was nice, a very nice woman. But there was a secret in her life, a secret guarded and hidden and important. Her secret was a sack, a large, filthy, tattered sack. Now, she didn't always have this sack, but over time she found she needed something something for an injustice or two she'd suffered, something for the cross and thoughtless words tossed her way without thinking, something for the lie she'd been told by a trusted friend, something for the relationship that had soured years ago, for painful childhood memories, regrets, unforgivable mistakes, her own self-criticism of never measuring up. She needed something for all of that a container, a sack. Each night long after her family had gone off to bed and the sounds of sleep were heard throughout the house when all was quiet and still, the nice woman would creep down to the cellar of her home. There among the canned peaches and green beans, the rusty bikes, the old toys, dusty boxes, there it was, 
There behind some baby furniture was the sack. Each night in her cold, dark, musty sanctuary, she'd heave that heavy sack up onto a broken down card table. Then by the dim light of the cellar, the contents were revisited, almost like dear old friends. She'd pull, pull each one out carefully, reliving the bitterness, the disappointment, the anger, and the hurt until she began to whimper and cry in anguish all over again. Suddenly, a rap on the cellar door would interrupt her. She knew the knock. It was the king, the great king. And sometimes when she heard the knock, she'd scramble upstairs back to bed. Sometimes she'd flick out the light and pretend she wasn't there. Other times she'd call out to him, doors open, come on in. He'd walk right into that place, step over the rusty bikes and the old toys and the shelves of canned peaches and green beans. And he'd walk right over to the broken down card table where she and the sack were. He'd put his arms around her, draw her close and stroke her hair, wipe away all the tears and ask for the sack. She'd nod a yes to him. He'd sweep away all the bitterness, the disappointment, the anger and the hurt off that table into the sack and shoulder it away with him. A feeling of lightness always followed the great king's leaving with the sack. It was wonderful. It lasted for days, weeks, sometimes months. No more stealing down to the cellar, no more crying, no more sack. Then she'd remember. A small something would trigger a memory about the soured relationship, the painful childhood experience, a self-doubt, and the bitterness, the disappointment, the anger, and the hurt would rush on in again. She'd need the sack. She'd want the sack, and she'd go and get the sack back from the great king. Again, he would knock gently, come in, wipe away the tears, and take the sack. And again, she would go and get it back from him. This went on for many years until one day she'd stop leaving the cellar door unlatched for the great king. Leaves and debris piled up around the unused doors. Eventually, she learned to close her ears to the gentle rapping that continued night after night. And time went by. The nice woman grew old, tired, Small, frail, her husband died, leaving her well taken care of. Her two children had grown up, married, and moved away. Now someone else weeded the garden. Someone else held the yard sales. Someone else made the Kool-Aid. And the sack, oh, it was still a part of her life. Larger, filthier, more tattered and heavy. So very heavy for her. One day last summer, her daughter called to talk. The phone rang and rang and rang. Her daughter got worried, called her brother, and asked him to go check on their mother. He did. He looked everywhere. He called the authorities. They looked everywhere. They never found the nice woman. Just a big old, filthy, tattered sack propped up on an easy chair. There once was a woman who lived in a faraway land. Well, actually, she lived right down the street. So the ingredient that might be ruining the cookies or are messing with our joy might be something from our past. And could that ingredient be unforgiveness? Unforgiveness that has been stewing in your own juices for years. An event, a hurt, a wound, or words spoken that negatively impacted you, offended you, or robbed you of something or someone? Is there a wall between you and your spouse, you and your sister, you and your friend, you and a parent? Or have you been deeply wounded and find it difficult to forgive? 
story that comes to my mind is uh, from a mother's perspective. Her son was engaged to be married, and the date was set, and the wedding plans were established. But prior to the wedding, the bride-to-be changed her mind and broke off the engagement. Not only was the young man devastated, his mother was very angry. Sometime later, the couple reconciled, and they decided they wanted to proceed with getting married, and they did. But the mother was not very happy because she was holding on to anger and resentment towards her now new daughter-in-law. Well, you know, God, of course, commands us to forgive. But even so, we are often unwilling because we think it means becoming vulnerable to those who've hurt us, or it means letting them off the hook. We want to throw them into the debtor's prison, and we want to hold the keys. We often want those who hurt us to hurt like we do, to know the enormity of what they did, and to be sorry. But you know, that's vengeance, and that's God's territory. Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says, For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So when we harbor unforgiveness in our heart to one another, we are holding that person in debt. When we truly forgive, what we're doing is proclaiming, I've canceled your debt. You don't owe me any longer. And when someone is in debt to us through unforgiveness, our heart records what that person owes us, whether it be they owe me an apology, they owe me this, they owe me that. Not only does what is owed get stored in our heart and in our minds, so do the hurts, the negative messages associated with that debt. Therefore, the one we refuse to forgive actually rents space in our head. They actually own us because they, the hurt they inflicted on us is continually played like a tape. We don't use tapes today, but <laughs> whatever, you understand, <laughs> like a tape in our minds. And we rehearse it over and over again, keeping the wounds fresh and the anger towards the offender on the surface. And then the wounds never heal. Thoughts like, remember, he told you he never wanted you. He said you were a mistake and you should have never been born. I'll never forgive him for the things he said to me. So think of it as a closed fist. In unforgiveness, it is as if we are shaking our fist at the one who owes us, demanding to receive something from them, yet holding tightly to the pain, the very pain we want to get rid of. We are unable to receive the very thing we demand because our hand is not open. And when the Lord wants to come and pour his love and healing into our heart, we're unable to receive the very thing we long for, and we can only receive a small portion of his love because through unforgiveness, we're still waiting for those who hurt us to pay up, to come through. It's as if we're saying to the Lord, no, that's okay. I'm waiting for so-and-so. He owes me or she owes me. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of unrighteousness. So the first words of that verse describe our part. It's our job to confess our sins, admit our sins. And the rest describes the Lord's part, which is his job to cleanse us of that unrighteousness. So the sin, unforgiveness is a sin. That bitterness that comes with it, the resentment, the hatred, we need to confess that as sin, and then God will forgive us and heal us and remove the pain of those negative messages. 
What does that mean? I'm required to act as though nothing happened. Must I forgive and forget? Well, real forgiveness is giving God our rights, the right to take revenge, the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. Only he is perfect in justice. The Lord knows exactly how much suffering the offender requires to come to repentance for the damage they have caused. And God also knows when the one who hurt us has truly repented and when mercy, not vengeance, is what they need. We're neither so just nor so wise. Forgetting is not a requirement of forgiveness. Hurts teach us that some people are not safe for us to be around. This is wisdom, not unforgiveness. If your daughter was hit by her boyfriend, you would not want to forget that, would you? You would want to protect her. Only God can forgive and forget. We are to forgive and move on. Forgiveness is a choice to obey. It's not a feeling. You don't wait until you feel like forgiving because sometimes we would never do it. And so the Lord asks you to choose to forgive in obedience to him. It's an act of your will. You choose to forgive because God commands it, and this is how freedom comes. The offender may never even know that you forgave them, but you will know. Unforgiveness does not just rob us of joy, but it negatively affects your relationship with God your and your relationship with others, and it also can affect your health, which is proven. Holding on to bitterness can affect your metabolism, your immune response or organ function, and lead to physical disease. It's been studied and proven. Feelings like anger, hostility, envy, bitterness, and hate evoke the stress response. And if these feelings are persistent, the body's capability to stay healthy and fight off illness can become impaired. 25 years ago, a woman from our church asked to meet with my husband and me. For an hour, we listened to her tell her story of her life. And after praying with her and bringing God's truth up against the lies that the enemy was telling her, she had a clear sense that God forgave her and wanted her to forgive her offender. Tom led her to the verses on forgiveness, and she told the Lord she forgave her offender. Immediately, I mean, it was immediate, she felt this heaviness lift from her spirit. And she said to us, I have been in counseling for 10 years, and I could never even talk about this subject with my counselor. And she said, now I, I finally feel free because I have forgiven him. I also remember a woman who said she wanted to pray the prayer to forgive someone who hurt her. And as she started to pray, she was really hesitant, like she couldn't go on, almost like she was stuck. It became very difficult for her. Finally, she pushed through the emotions in obedience to God and prayed, Jesus, as an act of my will, I give you any right that I felt was mine to throw him into a debtor's prison. Lord, I release my brother. I forgive him. Now we may say, what made her hesitate in her prayer? Well, Satan does not want us to forgive. He wants us to hold on to unforgiveness because it then becomes a stronghold, and he can use that as authority to torment us. God commands us to forgive, and if we refuse, we are disobedient, and we open the door for the enemy to attack our thoughts. Luke 7 reveals something else about forgiveness. If, if in our pride we feel we have little of which to repent, 
we will be unable to show much love. When Jesus was in the home of the Pharisee and an, that immoral woman entered the room and she anointed his feet, and the religious leaders were appalled and wondered, does he know who, what kind of woman she is? And Jesus said, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So if I confess little, I will show little love. Unforgiveness towards another is first of all sin against God. And sin by definition in the Bible is not wronging another person. It is assaulting the glory of God and rebelling against God. It's a, it's a vertical phenomenon. If, if you know the story of King David and Bathsheba, after Nathan, the prophet Nathan, confronted David um, of doing what he did, in, and he said, um, in Psalm, and David wrote Psalm 51, and he said, against you, God, and you alone I have sinned. Well, he had definitely sinned against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah, but why does he say you and you alone? Well, because his sin assaulted the glory of God. So when I withhold forgiveness or harbor unforgiveness, I'm sinning against God. By not confessing it as sin, I am unable to show much love. Why? Because that tape is playing in my head, rehearsing the wounds, and it makes me angry, bitter, and resentful. Love does not flow from that kind of a mindset. And so my failure to forgive others correlates directly to my ability to show love. Like the woman in the story with the sack, God persists. Why does he persist with us? Why does he want our junk exposed? So we can be free. So we can experience the joy of the Lord. I've asked Courtney to come today and share her story. And then I'll be back up to finish. But um, Courtney is a graduate of our women's shelter. And she would like to share what the Lord put on her heart. Hi, ladies. Thank you for having me and Miss Sue. Um, so what I do is I read a prayer. I write prayers to the Lord. And I've been writing them for almost three years now. And um, it's just a little bit of a testimony of where I came from. I never knew the Lord before I got here. So it's been almost three years. It'll be three years in March. So here we go. Father God, can you hear me? Father God, good morning. I pray to remove me out of the way. Holy Spirit, come lead and help me to bring forth the message of hope that is in me today. Why, Lord, the hope that is in me is you and only you. If I look back to when I first arrived at the shelter, which was March 2020, I was broken, shattered, fragmented, body, soul, spirit, and mind, ensnared by lies, wound and bound by deep addiction of methamphetamine and heroin for 18 years. Never having a Lord or a Savior, my hope then was money, drugs, and men. What I considered hope was making a wish and hoping it would come true. I didn't trust anyone, and the only one I could, or so I thought, to trust was myself. And that was not very wise, because I would manipulate my own self, living my life so selfishly and destructively, not caring about anyone or anything but me, me, me. When I arrived, my liver was compromised. My thoughts and actions were anything but sane. God, you and only you heard my soul cry out to you because, let's face it, I did not know how to surrender and let go of my existence of a life. 
but you, Lord, shut down the whole world for me. You told me, be still. You started to, sorry, you started showing me scripture, and I had no mental capacity to retain. It was all cloudy and uncomprehendable to me. But what I did have was willingness. I said the sinner's prayer, and I asked you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you responded back to me. Your scripture started to open up and penetrate through because Hebrews 12 says, I mean, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and is a discerner of thought intents and intents of the heart. What a powerful truth, Lord. What a powerful truth. Indeed, my life had been built upon deceit and lies and destruction, that when I read your word, and it was and is truth, it stunned my soul because it was the complete opposite. But my spirit knew it well without anyone telling me. And this was God ministering to my soul, spirit, and heart and mind. I kept reading the word and relying on Jesus because there was nothing left in me. I couldn't rely on my own self because we all know that is a broken cistern that can't hold anything. I am a complete cracked pot. But God fills me because I rely on him. I trust him and I pray in faith believing he will be with me every step of the way because why not? This was my thought process. So I started to be renewed and refreshed in the Lord. He started working in me and opening old wounds, scars, and issues too long to list. Slowly every day he would mend me and heal me. He has renewed my mind and has restored relationships that were severely severed. And because I read your Bible and yield to you, Lord, you are the reason for my hope today. You will never leave me or forsake me. And that's a foundational truth I can stand on today. Fast forward to today, I still think at times, is this really real? Am I really still here almost three years later? God, you are so great. I cherish our relationship. I hear your sweet songs in the middle of the night. I read your word, and it rekindles my spirit. And I align myself with you today. You have snapped chains of addiction and lies. You fill me and refresh my mercies. Not only have you healed my wounds, you have started working through me to others. I'm so thankful to you. All glory and honor be yours. I love how I can come to you, and you are always loyal. I couldn't only, I couldn't only imagine in my wildest dreams that you would have given me the freedom I have today. I put my hope and trust and reliance in you. You light the path I follow. I claim promises of you today and stand firm in the foundation that is you. I pray, Lord, that all would seek and you wait, start again. I pray, Lord, that all would seek you diligently and would ask, seek, and knock, because you change lives. You are love. You meant every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. I cherish you, I praise you, I delight in you. It's in your name I pray. Love your daughter Courtney. That's it. Talk about a trophy of God's grace. And Courtney is filled with the joy of the Lord, let me tell you. And so in, in addition to forgiving, we are also called to love. And um, these days, sometimes it's very difficult to uh, find agreement with people and love people because there's so many different thoughts and opinions. But that's where God's grace comes in. And one definition of God's grace is the desire and the ability to do the will of God. So he not only gives us the desire to do his will, but also the ability to do his will. And what is his will? Well, we find that in 1 John 5, 23. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus, and love one another just as he commanded us. 
So God will provide the grace to love others. We can choose to accept that grace or refuse it. And if someone is giving their opinion on a hot topic and it does not line up with yours, call upon God's grace before you respond. His grace may tell you to just listen and not respond at all, to be a peacemaker. Remember, his grace is the desire and the ability to do his will. And his will is to believe in his son Jesus and love one another. So let's not be women who incite discussions that lead to arguments, divisiveness, fear, slander. Rather, be women who spread joy, who are free from unforgiveness, free to love greatly, free to offer the living hope found in Christ. Colossians 3.13 to 15 says, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So, of course, we know God wants us to forgive others, and he wants us to show mercy. So, are you longing for that, for that comfort, for that joy, for that freedom? Do you want to be free of bitterness and unforgiveness? And are you ready to let the great king remove your sack from your basement? And are you ready to leave it with him and not take it back to rehearse all your hurts? So forgive all, extend grace to all, and love one another. Be unencumbered to share the living hope. So our precious Savior wants to set you free, and he also wants to lavish you with his love. I have brought along a, um, one of these for all of you if you like them. If you've never heard this, this is the Father's Love Letter. I'd just like to read it to you. It's just going to take a little bit of time. And I just want you to listen and know that this is how your Father in Heaven feels about you. These are all from Scripture in the Bible. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down, when you rise up. I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me, you live and move and have your being. You are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day when you were born. I've been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it's my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father could ever, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. I am your provider, and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. I want to show you great and marvelous things. 
If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am unable to do, I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I'm also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He's the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. And I tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love your dad, almighty God. That's all, yeah, isn't that beautiful? That's all in this little track. And I love to give this out because whenever you're struggling with what, how God feels about you or someone you know says, but how could God love me? This track is wonderful to give them. I tell women to just put it by your bed and read it every night before you go to sleep or every morning when you get up if you don't know how much God loves you. And they're all um, from the Bible. So I would just encourage you, um, if there's anyone that God has brought to your mind that you need to forgive, just go to him and forgive that person. It's, it's for your good. It sets you free. Sometimes we hold on to things and we don't even know why we're doing that. Um, just re receive the, the freedom that comes from forgiveness. I know this is a heavy message for a T, but, you know, forgiveness, <laughs> forgiveness is something that we need to look at over and over again throughout our lives here on earth. It's not worth holding on to unforgiveness. It's really not. It's a tool the enemy uses to, to bring us down. And so... Lighten the load. Ask, tell the Lord that you forgive the person who's hurt you and wounded you and be set free. Let's pray. 